everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast with me, your host, Alex Murray. So this week, we're going to have a look at the usual list of vulnerabilities and updates that we've done to fix those. And as well, we're going to have a bit of a discussion about the latest talk on Intel side channel vulnerabilities from some of the original researchers that discovered uh, the original Meltdown and Spectre attacks. Okay, so let's get into it. So we've had uh, 33 unique CVEs that have been addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one we're going to have a look at is uh, libms pack, the library for handling Windows cab files and others. Uh, we had an out-of-bounds write uh, if a particular cab file used the quantum block value. So basically if you construct your cab file to, to use that, uh, you could get a one byte uh, out-of-bounds write beyond the end of a buffer. So you'd get a buffer overflow and possible um, denial of service crash or even code execution depending on what you can corrupt as a result. There was also a second fix there, which was a failure to validate file names properly, where you could have embedded uh, null, so that's um, zero bytes in the names of files that it would process, and again, could lead to possible denial of service via crash. Okay, uh, we also updated get text for um, trusty Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and for precise extended security maintenance. So there was a single CVE here, which was around a uh, double free. So basically, if you had a specially crafted translation file, um, you could get it to inadvertently free the same block of memory twice, and therefore you can do things like heap corruption and possible code execution as a result. Uh, the interesting thing about this too was, um, yeah, there's a bunch of proof of concepts up on GitHub uh, for this too that demonstrate it as well if you want to have some more details. Okay, um, the next one is a pretty big update for SystemD. So we mentioned last week uh, we'd had some updates for SystemD. Uh, this one here is a, a fair bit more involved where we've fixed three different CVEs for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. The first one uh, is for a couple different issues that Jan Horn from Google Project Zero had reported directly uh, to Ubuntu regarding SystemD. Uh, these aren't Ubuntu specific, they are um, in upstream SystemD but reported to us I guess as a first port of call. Uh, the first one was that it was possible to uh, essentially corrupt the state of systemd uh, when it re-executes itself. So systemd has a, a function where you can tell it to uh, serialize out all its state and it will do that to disk and then you can tell it to re-execute and it will then restart itself from that saved state. And this obviously is useful if you're doing like a systemd package update and you want to then stop it and restart it. The problem was that it would fail to... Uh, deserialize itself from disk correctly. So you could essentially, um, by injecting the right state values, you could then cause it to restart with uh, corrupted state and therefore do things like maybe elevate um, other, other processes to root and that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, that one was quite an involved fix because they used uh, the fgets function internally, um, which yeah, it was... Uh, not safe to do this kind of thing with, so then had to re-implement a heap of string parsing basically um, from scratch. So we've backported that, uh, as I said, all the way back to Xenial. So the second one is where uh, you could cause systemd to change ownership of files that weren't owned by the original user. So systemd has the ability to execute a unit as another user, which obviously is useful. So you might say that you want to start um, MySQL as the MySQL user. Right, um, and then you would then tell it that you want all of the MySQL, uh, say, config files owned by that same MySQL user. So systemd then, before executing it, would go and make sure the ownership of those files is as you've specified, or if not, it would change them. Now, 
the system D had some uh, sort of logic in there to handle that uh, you can't do this in a safe way with symlinks, but uh, this is still racy in that you can look at a, a file and go, oh, this is a symlink, and you could then look at what the symlink points to, and then you could go and potentially change the ownership as a result. But there's a, essentially a time of check to time of use vulnerability there where the symlink could get changed underneath you and you could end up inadvertently changing ownership of some other file. So, yeah, this one, again, was another large backport of a bunch of changes that was needed to resolve that. Um, but basically, yeah, you could end up convincing System D to change permissions or change the ownership of given files to whichever user you wanted, and you could say do that for etc. password or something like that if you redirect the symlink correctly. The third one uh, was an older one, and this was in the temp files component of System D. And so uh, this is used um, usually to be able to kind of automatically create temporary files and that kind of thing when you're executing a, a unit. So systemd temp files, you can instruct it as to a given path and what permissions you therefore want it to uh, apply to that for your temp files. And uh, again, a, a bit related to the previous one, uh, the problem here is it would follow symlinks in non-terminal path components. So that would mean, what that means is you may have a path like var run foo, and if run in that path component was actually a symlink, it would follow that. And you could then get it to again change um, the ownership and maybe permissions of arbitrary files by redirecting that symlink while it goes to walk that tree. So a bit similar to the previous one, but, but different because it's a different section of code. Now, there was originally a patch series proposed back in March to resolve this. And it was then deemed fixed, but not long after, in April, it was found this patch wasn't sufficient. And so then more um, extensive patching was required. And so that's taken until August to be developed upstream. And then, yeah, we've now backported that, as I said, for Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. So three different CVEs there. Uh, yeah, and all, I guess, reasonably complex and involved. Uh, but yeah, your system Ds are now all safe. Uh, the next one I want to look at is ClamAV, so the virus scanner. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we had some issues in libmspack. ClamAV is a user of libmspack and on precise extended security maintenance and trusty, it uses its own bundled copy of libmspack and not the system package, which means that it was also vulnerable to the same uh, problems that uh, libmspack itself was. So that's been updated as well. We've updated Spam Assassin for Precise ESM, and uh, that was a fix that we covered back in Episode 7, actually, and we've now backported that for Precise Extended Security Maintenance. So if you're running Spam Assassin and an RA Extended Security Maintenance customer, you've now got that fix as well. We've updated Python for Bionic, Xenial, Trusty, and Precise Extended Security Maintenance as well. So there were five different CVEs here that we've uh, looked at. Uh, the first one was where it failed to correctly initialize the hash salt that it used for um, hash tables in the element tree library. So element tree is often, well, it is used for XML parsing. And because it had failed to initialize this hash salt, you would then get very predictable values for where uh, elements would end up in a hash table as a result. Therefore, you could construct a uh, specific XML file that would abuse this and basically you could get it to get a large number of hash collisions as the, the document was passed and this would then create um, a very inefficient data structure that would have to be that would be very CPU intensive to walk each time that it would do the parsing and so basically you'd get a denial of service as a result um, due to that. 
So yeah, that's been fixed by simply just making sure we initialize that hash salt. The next one was a possible command injection when using Python to create a zip file. So uh, when Python had a make archive function that would then fall back to the system zip binary to uh, create that file, it would use the spawn uh, feature rather than subprocess to execute that. And spawn is uh, vulnerable to shell command injection. And so you could possibly inject arbitrary commands as a result. So that was changed just to use subprocess. We also fixed three lower priority issues there too. Uh, one was a race condition when uh, reading from multiple threads on the same file, you could corrupt data structures, the usual sorts of uh, thing. Uh, there was also a denial of service via a large amount of CPU usage due to some uh, complicated regular expressions that we used in uh, the mail handling uh, library, as well as with the diff-lib library. So basically, these uh, regular expressions contained uh, backtracking in them, and so you could get it to depending on what input you fed, get it to have to perform a large amount of backtracking on that input when um, executing the regular expression and therefore a denial of service through you know, CPU, high amount of CPU usage, that kind of thing. Okay, uh, we've got an update here for Postgres, uh, the popular database. Uh, we've got one CVE here fixed, it was for Bionic and Cosmic, which was uh, the ability to possibly inject arbitrary SQL uh, commands with super user privileges during a dump and restore cycle. And this was able to potentially be triggered by regular users because you would just need the uh, permission to execute uh, the create privilege on a on a schema and by the default configuration the public schema uh, is able to be done this by regular users so yeah there was the ability for regular users to essentially execute arbitrary sql as root so not a good one but yeah that's been fixed now for bionic and cosmic uh, coming up next we've got a look at the linux kernel updates so this is a regular update for the kernel that happens uh, about every three weeks from the kernel team and we fixed a large number of CVEs here. I'll try not to uh, get too bogged down in them, but uh, we had an update here for uh, the kernel in Bionic and then the uh, Bionic kernel, which is backported to Xenial, so the Bionic hardware enablement kernel, as well as the uh, Azure kernel for Trusty. They're all based on the same source. So we've got four fixes here. Uh, one was a, a integer overflow in the Bluetooth HID uh, device handling and another uh, info leak in the CD-ROM driver uh, and we've mentioned both of these in episode 9. So if you want details, go have a listen back to that. Uh, there was also a possible privilege escalation in the SCSI subsystem and finally a fix for Zen where its network driver didn't check uh, the parameters that were supplied to it uh, in the guest so you could get a uh, integer overflow which would then lead to an out-of-bounds read which would then potentially lead to an out-of-bounds write and you could corrupt data and obviously get a likely pr privilege escalation or at least a denial of service the usual sort of thing we've also got an update for the kernel package in uh, Xenial and the backported Xenial kernel in Trusty the hardware enablement kernel so we've got seven different CVEs here that we looked at there is a possible crash in the KVM subsystem, so the uh, virtual machine subsystem on ARM64, where you had the chance to potentially crash the host or um, execute code on the host as root uh, from a malicious guest, so that's been fixed. Uh, another one found by uh, Jan Horn, Google Project Zero, was that uh, stack unwinding in the proc file system didn't check whether the caller was root. So 
what this is is the uh, proc file system has some complicated logic to essentially unwind the stack uh, on various conditions. And the uh, issue here was that anyone could uh, essentially trigger that. And the problem is when it unwinds a stack, uh, you can essentially race various threads in that stack unwinding and potentially read uh, the stack of other threads and get that dumped out. So you could essentially get information disclosure from other arbitrary kernel threads. And the problem is you may have that triggered, say, from a user thread um, or a thread with user privileges that then reads a root privileged kernel thread and you could read arbitrary uh, kernel stack contents as a result. Uh, so this was fixed basically just to make sure that this stack unwinding can only be done for uh, the root user. Uh, so at least we don't get an information leak. Uh, I think there is further discussion upstream as to whether to actually change the uh, stack unwinding code to try to not be as racy in the first place, but that's still an ongoing discussion. There was also a fix there for a, a bunch of null pointer dereferences in various file systems. So essentially, if you uh, were to mount a malicious file system image, that could be triggered. So there's one for HFS+, for uh, BetterFS, and for F2FS as well. And similarly, there's also an update for an X4 uh, bug, which might result in an out-of-bounds write to stack data, uh, again, from a malicious image. We've got an update as well for the uh, kernel in Trusty and the backported Trusty kernel for precise extended security maintenance. So into this has been rolled a couple of the same updates that were done earlier, uh, the Bluetooth HID and the CD-ROM and SCSI vulnerabilities that I mentioned earlier. There's also a, uh, a one here that's unique for this, which is a possible divide by zero in the CDC USB Ethernet driver. Uh, and that could possibly be triggered by a specially crafted device depending on what um, parameters that device was exposing. So if you were to have a yeah, malicious device, basically you could trigger this. And finally, there was a, an issue there uh, as well in KVM where the guest uh, process could cause the guest OS itself to crash uh, due to the way that um, they were mismanaging the emulation of exception handling there. Okay, uh, the last one uh, to look at was an update to the kernel directly for precise ESM. And these are uh, some of the long-awaited fixes for L1TF that we covered all the way back in episode one. So those have now been backported uh, to the precise ESM kernel. Uh, so if you're running that there, um, you are you're covered. Uh, the last thing related to the kernel was that we have a, had a live patch go out. So if you're running the live patch service, you are now covered um, without having to reboot uh, for Bionic, Xenial and Trusty. And this fixes uh, some of the vulnerabilities I've already mentioned, which was the Bluetooth HID one, uh, the CD-ROM driver, uh, the SCSI subsystem uh, privilege escalation and the uh, X4 out-of-bounds write uh, vulnerability. So yeah, uh, if you are, as I say, if you're running a uh, live patch, you are now protected and you don't even need to reboot for those ones. Okay, the last uh, update I wanna look at is for OpenJDK 7. So we've fixed five different CVEs here for Trusty uh, for the OpenJDK 7 package. Uh, these are all um, similar to, or they're, they're all the, the same vulnerabilities that we previously mentioned back in episode 10 for the OpenJDK 8 package. Uh, but these have now been fixed as well for uh, OpenJDK 7. And that takes us to the end of the usual list of vulnerabilities. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about in this episode was a new paper that's come out, which uh, was from some of the original authors of the Meltdown and Spectre work back uh, right at the start of the year. 
And what they've done is they've gone back and basically taken a much more systematic look at um, side channel attacks or what they call transient execution attacks uh, on both Intel, AMD and ARM processors and try to look at it in a more holistic approach rather than the the previous approach where it was more like let's just pick a particular uh, side channel or a particular feature of the processor and look at that in detail. And so what they've done uh, is they've reclassified the existing Meltdown and Spectre attacks uh, in this new light. And so what that then means is that um, Meltdown and Spectre are still two distinct classes of attack, but they've then reclassified uh, various elements within them. And as a result, uh, the original Meltdown attack is now uh, dubbed Meltdown US, uh, which is Meltdown User Supervisor, because you're able to trigger essentially a read from uh, memory in supervisor mode from user mode and they've then renamed uh, the other existing spectre attacks as well um, based on the feature that they're exploiting uh, but as a result they've then gone and looked at both meltdown and spectre uh, with this more holistic approach and found a, uh, a number of different other variants that weren't previously considered uh, of those attacks so for Meltdown, there's uh, two more, which is Meltdown PK, which is a bypass of the memory protections around uh, Intel memory protection keys. So the idea that you can, um, for a given process, you can um, use the process's uh, memory protection feature to allow uh, only uh, that process to read that memory or to write to that memory and nothing else. But using this uh, side channel attack, they've been able to avoid those restrictions and bypass them. So the second one they've identified is Meltdown BR, which is essentially where they're using a more like a Spectre type a attack to, uh, against the processor, but then using the bounds range exceeded exception to trigger that and do uh, reading from the wrong context uh, in the style of Meltdown. They've also identified five new Spectre variants. And what they've done here is they've, so Spectre relies on essentially mistraining uh, various um, branch prediction elements within the processor and getting it to incorrectly speculate on uh, one of these mistrained um, features to then read uh, the wrong memory under speculation and then you can use a side channel to read that back and so what they've done is they've looked at all the different um, the different features things like the branch target buffer or the return stack buffer the different things you can train and looked at how can we um, mistrain these under other contexts and so I've essentially identified a number of other spectre variants based on you know looking at all those different ways that you can mistrain uh, those features. Finally, they go on to uh, compare the existing mitigations that uh, are deployed already against uh, the existing uh, vulnerabilities plus their newly identified ones and basically show uh, a number of cases where these aren't, um, aren't completely sufficient. Uh, and so I guess what this, what this really shows us is that uh, this side channel stuff is not going away. Um, it is still an active area of hot research and still turning up um, new and um, yeah, quite, quite interesting uh, methods of exploiting and that there is obviously still work needed um, in, the, in the defensive side as well. Okay, uh, so that takes us to the end of the, the usual stuff. Uh, the other thing is we are still hiring. We've got an open position for an Ubuntu security engineer. If you're listening to this podcast, you are highly likely to be someone that could be a good candidate for this role. So please, I urge you to apply. Uh, if you've got some software development experience and obviously you're interested in Ubuntu and in security, you're the kind of person we want. So uh, yeah, check out the link in the show notes and apply. Okay, that takes us to the end of the episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com or you can find us in the Ubuntu Harden channel on Freenode or you can find us at ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter. 
So uh, as always, remember, uh, keep calm, enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you in another week. Thanks for listening. Bye.